Hey folks, just me on the intro today. I wanted to take a minute to address the situation in America right now before we got into the show proper. The injustices that the black community are and have been facing are devastating, heartbreaking, and simply put, inhumane. One password is standing in solidarity with those who are peacefully protesting the injustices that are occurring each and every day. A long-term problem requires not just this statement, but a long-term solution, and we are committed to our part in that. We are making a number of donations and matching personal donations from our team to organizations leading positive change, such as the NAACP, UNCF, and the Equal Justice Initiative, to name a few. Each of us can support this important cause by sharing messages of support or by making donations to these organizations. Together, we can all make a change for the better. And now, for the show. jump into some Watchtower Weekly? I think so. Yeah, so Krebs on security has a story about a UK ad campaign that seeks to deter cybercrime. The UK's anti-cybercrime agency is running online ads aimed at young people who search the web for services that enable computer crimes, specifically Trojan horse programs and DDoS for hire services, distributed denial of service attacks. The NCA senior manager, David Cox, said the agency is targeting its ads to UK males aged 13 to 22 who are searching for booter services or different types of remote access Trojans as part of an ongoing effort to help steer young men away from cybercrime and toward using their curiosity and skills for good. The ads link to advertorials and to the UK's Cybersecurity Challenge, which tries to gamify computer security concepts and highlight potential careers in cybersecurity roles. This is great. <laughs> I love this. I think it's a brilliant idea. Absolutely. What a fun approach to like a serious problem. I think maybe the you know the diversity could be expanded a little there. In what way? Why limit it to males between the age of 13 and 22? It's quite a small bracket, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I guess they've tested this and they've decided that that one works the best for the amount of budget that they have to spend. If Google did their thing and just put this at the top of the search results for that type of thing. I think you're right. These should be free ads. Right. Rather than them having to buy advertising or anything like that, this seems like something that could be replicated across multiple services as well. Absolutely. Why not put an advert for Google's own cybersecurity division and the jobs within that at the top of search results when people are searching for this type of thing? It does show their curiosity and you could even determine certain phrases that really kind of reflect skills as well. Yeah, and you know, I think that the search engines in general are so much better positioned to know the types of queries that are turning up these results and able to target them much better than an outside agency trying to find the right search terms and, and appropriately guide and target in that way. This really could be advertising for good. That's a very cool concept. Yeah, I, I think the biggest gain in this sort of space would be from, from YouTube. The amount of simple run-through videos where they either use something like a, a brute force or a credential list or, or something like that. The amount of videos on YouTube for doing this that are like by kind of teenage people for teenage people, it's a real problem. Yeah. I think, you know, posting more things that are kind of white hat, I guess. Yeah, I like the quote from David Cox here where he says, the fact is those standing in front of a classroom teaching children have less information about cybercrime than those they're trying to teach, which I think is kind of the reality of what we're looking at these days. I think it's the reality of, of computing these days. Yeah. I think by the time you get to, to teach 
computing in a, in a lot of areas. I'm, I'm saying this because, you know, my design education was great, but it was largely self-taught. Right. Even though that I did go to a university and I did go to college. I don't know. It's, it's a really tricky one because obviously there are specialized teachers out there for this. And I, I think they would probably do a really good job. But yeah, I think we need to see a bit more computing and up-to-date education going on, especially at, at young ages. I think the other thing that makes it a challenge from an education point of view is that it is it is a landscape that changes so quickly. So in order to both educate the people that, that you may be teaching, you have to spend an incredible amount of time educating yourself. And I think it's difficult to find that balance between you know learning this stuff yourself and then also turning around and being able to teach it's certainly a challenge, but I, I love this approach. And I, it makes me think of where else, what other societal problems could be targeted in this way. I'm not, I won't use the word solved because I don't believe that that's, that's what we could do here. But Yeah, I think Google do do a fair amount of this, putting advice and, and things at the top of their search results. I know that they've started to definitely do it around uh, COVID and coronavirus, etc. Like all, all the information that they have fact-checked, they have... Uh, agreed and is impartial and non-party political, etc. And that's what Google are putting in their search results. Absolutely. Should we jump to the next topic, which is a doozy and which we have no answers for, only kind of pointed opinions and <laughs> and thoughts that we can share. <laughs> uh, but Mark Zuckerberg promised default end-to-end encryption throughout Facebook's platforms. Nearly a year later, Messenger's not even close. And that's reported by Wired. So, uh, yeah, in, in March of last year, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, or Muckerberg, as I almost called him there. Muckerberg. Muckerberg. I love it. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg makes a dramatic pledge, right? Facebook would apply end-to-end encryption to user communication across all of its platforms by default. It's also not happening anytime soon. One of Facebook's software engineers for, for Messenger Privacy said, I'll be honest, right now, we're still in a place of having more questions than answers. While we have made progress in the planning, it turns out adding end-to-end encryption into an existing system is incredibly challenging and involves fundamentally rethinking almost everything. Yep. Cool. Good job standing on stage and telling everyone how important this is. But like, this is a systemic issue at this company. Just having the CEO get up on stage and say, we're going to do this doesn't mean anything when the entire company is mobilized in a direction where this is not part of the culture. So I'm not at all surprised by this. I just am I'm not. Yeah. Matthew Green from John Hopkins University did decide to throw some shade on the discussion. He said, if this is taking several years, uh, maybe they're not putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. This stuff is no joke. I'm just sort of picturing almost a Saturday Night Live type sketch. I'm just like, yeah. This is real hard, you guys. Like, nobody told us it was going to be this hard. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, they're not just encrypting messages, right? They have features within that. They have video calls, group messaging, gifts, stickers, payments, um, and, and anything really depending on, on the kind of apps that you install in Messenger. And almost all of these currently depend on a Facebook server being able to access the contents of the messages, uh, so in an end-to-end encrypted setup, only the people at either ends of the conversation would possess those keys. And then, of course, like with group conversations, you've got key sharing, etc. So requiring more of those mechanics, it would have to be moved to the browsers and to the applications. And also, not only technical sides, you also kind of have all of the 
governments and the action groups that are against encryption for various reasons all against you too so i I think there are kind of multiple sides at play for this uh for this debate yeah all the eyes are on facebook for this precedent i think room sized whiteboards in facebook headquarters just full of circles and lines just (laughs) just trying to figure out how to change this stuff yeah i imagine this is a, a fairly difficult debate even discounting the large thing in the room which is You know, the UK, the US and Australia have all sent an open letter to Facebook calling it to rethink its plans to encrypt all the messages on its platform. So this is the age old thing, right? They said the policy threatens the lives and safety of our children. So terrorism, child abuse, etc. The anti-encryption debate has always pit the worst of humanity against their own privacy, really. And for once, I think we're, we're kind of pivoting into an alternative universe where Facebook might actually be right about something. Facebook simply said people have the right to a private conversation online. I think that that's, that's like a full stop. Like you can say that and, and have that be it, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, the um, product owner, uh, Will Cathcart from uh, WhatsApp, followed up with uh, end-to-end encryption protects that right for over a billion people every day. And I think that was a really good message for, for Facebook to put out. I wish that they would have, you know, privacy at the top of their mind all the time. And maybe they will prove us wrong in in our constant opinion of them here. <laughs> if we're starting off this kind of heavy topic that privacy is a right, is it a right that should be the difference between free and paid? And this is where the, the Zoom conversation comes in. Zoom says that free users won't get end-to-end encryption So FBI and police can access calls. And this was reported by The Verge. So yeah, this is is another heavy element into the extent here. This was said by the CEO of of Zoom on a call with with analysts. Free users, for sure, we don't want to give end-to-end encryption because we also want to work together with the FBI and local law enforcement in case some people use Zoom for a bad purpose. So so what they're saying here is, right, that they're not going to give free users end-to-end encryption. And one of their quotes basically says that free users sign up with an email address, which actually doesn't provide enough information to verify their identity. And that's why the paid accounts can have end-to-end encryption. But none of this really tallies up, right? If you wanted to be private away from the law enforcement or to do harm on Zoom and not be monitored, one of the things that you could do is just pay, right, to get end-to-end encryption. But the identity, like verifying the identity, doesn't determine harmful intent. So I'm not sure any of this lines up. Also, the notion that like I almost want to spin it on its head and say, is end-to-end encryption something that should be behind a paywall? Yeah, differentiating between free and paid as encryption, I think, is a slippery slope. But more than that, I think what he said communicates that he and, and Zoom as a whole don't really seem to value privacy. And the only reason they're adding privacy to paid accounts is because the market is telling them to. This is exactly how they behaved with security before, really. While a lot of the bad security choices could kind of be explained away on a case-by-case basis, it was becoming clear that they are only concerned about customer security to the extent that it affects their stock price. Yeah. Now, Zoom, of course, previously and falsely advertised itself as an end-to-end encryption uh, platform and and 
once caught, confirmed in a blog post that end-to-end encryption was actually not possible on the platform. Right, client-to-server encrypted, which is just, it's like my funny, it's its one of my favorite things in a UI. It's like, your communication is encrypted to the server. It's like, great, thanks. Real comforting. <laughs> yeah, that was only after they changed it, right? Yeah. When you used to hover over it, it did say end-to-end encrypted. It sure did. So yeah, I think the encryption debate is, is a really complex one, but I, I think you have to think about two things. Is the company built around privacy? And why wasn't it using encryption before? Yeah. So moving on, we have following six months of investigation in the UK, Glastonbury Town Council has resolved unanimously to adopt the recommendations of their 5G advisory committee, which was set up in 2019 to explore the safety of 5G technology. I've actually taken this one straight from the horse's mouth. This is uh, from glastonbury.gov.uk. <laughs> so yeah, this, this was a really odd one. Among the volunteers of this kind of investigation were a retired electronics engineer, a molecular biologist, someone who had a physics degree and had looked into this subject, a businessman and a conservative councillor in the in the neighbouring town, and all four ended up resigning before the report was actually completed. <laughs> Mr Swan said, I joined the working group in good faith, expecting to take part in a sensible discussion about 5G. Sadly, the whole thing turned out to be a clueless pantomime driven by conspiracy theorists and skeptics. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Uh, I mean, a couple of these uh, conspiracy theorists and skeptics, uh, they included retired American professor Martin Paul, uh, who in 2019 claimed that wireless networks would make all human beings sterile if they were not switched off within two years. Another witness was Dr. Andrew Trosider. Uh, a former GP whose website offers flower remedies and emotional healing. Uh, his presentation focused on people claiming to suffer from electromagnetic stress. <laughs> I'm not sure quite what that is. Mm. Uh, which he has said, often not taken seriously by mainstream doctors. Hmm. You don't say. Uh, I, I like the fact that he disconnects himself from a mainstream doctor <laughs> there, you know, with his uh, electromagnetic stress, emotional healing. I like that this group didn't pick up on this straight away. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the fact that no one pulled the plug on this sooner. Yeah. Also in that group, Roy Proctor, a spiritual healer who claims dousing. Uh, that's the thing where you uh, kind of, you cross two metal sticks together and then, or when they cross over, uh, you've found water mm -hmm. or you heal sick houses. One of the two. Yep. Uh, yeah. So his report, he speculated about a link between the coronavirus and 5G and recommends that the town council eliminate all Wi-Fi connections within the town. Wonderful. Yeah, I saw a meme yesterday. It was like uh, New Zealand has completed their 5G rollout and amazingly no increase in cases of coronavirus uh, <laughs> have been found anywhere. Yeah, so uh, this this is pretty wild. The, um, yeah. the full 31-page report has actually now been completely removed, but the BBC did manage to, to grab a screenshot. <laughs> yeah, it referenced uh, something called a 5G biosphere and said, we use this device and find it helpful. That was in the official document from the, the, uh, the Glastonbury Town Council. Now, just, just, sorry, I need to pause for a second. The official report that was finally filed was written by the retired American professor, uh, the flower healer, and, and uh, the dowser. Is that, is that what we're saying here? So I think the report was kind of put together from all of the group that were there, it's just that everybody who was seemingly sensible and qualified just left and was like, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> so it seems like the, the end result 
Uh, and and if you read the findings, like these are all online. I don't know whether we'll link to them in the show notes, but <laughs> you you can actually you can find them. Um, it's absolutely wild that these people were given a stage. It's that whole thing of like we want it to be balanced, but can we all, all agree that balance isn't great when it's facts versus nonsense? <laughs> like yeah. I'm 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 totally okay with factually balancing a discussion. But this seems to have gone off the rails right from the beginning. Goodness, yeah, yeah, this is this is pretty rough, and 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 it showed in the fact that like the scientists all resigned. They're like, no, like this is clearly not what we thought we were signing up for. This is just. I would have given anything to be a fly on the wall or have these recorded or something. I think it would have been wild, hilarious, probably. So moving down a rabbit hole of this, I decided to look into the five G biosphere a bit more. And the device has actually been tested by a friend of the show, Ken Monroe, hey. uh, and, and colleagues at, at Pentest Partners. Yay. We love saying that. Yep. Friend of the show, Ken Monroe. <laughs> this is, uh, so on, on the 5G BioShield website, the BioShield revolution, first to market full spectrum protection, uh, proprietary holographic nanofoil catalyst technology. It provides remediation from all harmful radiation, electrosmog, and biohazard pollution. So this sounds amazing, Matt. So I don't understand. What's the problem? Then? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, their website also says that the device harmonizes all harmful frequencies into life-affirming frequencies. It doesn't block. It transmutes. I like the term uh, life-affirming frequencies. <laughs> I quite like that, too. I think that that's a really smart approach because I, I'm guessing that to block the harmful rays would require a lot more power. But if you're just transmuting... That I feel like you can you can do that just with the power that's coming off of a, a USB port. Well, it's also measurable, right? Like well, there is yeah, something absolutely. that measures electromagnetic uh, fields and, and uh, waves, etc. So if they said that it blocked them uh, and it didn't, it would be kind of proof that it, it didn't work. One of my favorite things about this website as well is if you go on the frequently asked questions, it's like they've copied and pasted all the questions that they've actually ever got. Because the last one on the list is, would the 5G biosphere, uh, bioshield, sorry, uh, affect in any way my husband's pacemaker? <laughs> <laughs> not, not pacemakers in general, just my husband's pacemaker. So, I mean, this is, this is really amazing. And they're only 283 pounds. For one. Bargain. I mean, this is this is wild. And this is under investigation by whoever investigates uh, false advertising in the UK. No, I, I don't understand, though. What, wait, what did Ken find then? Like, this is this this must be some next level <laughs> generation tech here, right? Like, this is... Did they, like, did they break it down? Did they take it apart? What's in this thing? So, yeah, it turns out Ken and a colleague did try to dismantle this USB key to find out if there were any kind of whiz-bang electronics inside. But all they found was an LED light on the circuit board, which is kind of similar to those on any other USB key. I mean, it also had a sticker on it. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Hold on. Back up. That's that's what the difference was between a normal USB stick and, and this. This this thing is all nonsense? Is that what, you, is that what I'm hearing? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Their website is amazing. Rather brilliantly, it's also created by Jacques Bauer, <laughs> who I, I think is like a French version of the uh, of the CTU agent. Jack Bauer is the guy from Twenty Four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's here's what I will say. Okay, this is obviously nonsense. However, if this gives you peace of mind and it helps you sleep better at night, as many of these testimonials claim they do, go ahead and spend your money. That's fine. No, that's a terrible idea. No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is complete nonsense and no one should spend their money on it. And then this is what um, fullfact.org says, the independent, like non-politicized fact-checking charity. To be clear, these theories are wrong. As you'll see from our fact checks linked throughout the article, there's no connection between 5G and coronavirus, and there's no evidence of any health risk from 5G. But it's also not clear that simply dismissing them is the right approach. Uh, given the upheaval the coronavirus pandemic has caused, people are understandably worried and, and looking for answers. And if you're really, you know, if you're really on the fence about this, go and read the, the Glastonbury Town Council thing, because every point that is brought up that sounds vaguely scientific about this link just gets beautifully shut down at every point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, don't buy a USB key, just stay two metres apart. I think that's that's the best advice we can give. So today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different on the show. We thought that if you're heading to a protest or somewhere where you need to secure yourself a little bit more, then we'd give you some advice to help you stay safe out there. This is a nice idea. I like this. So, Rouge, do you want to take it away? Uh, David Huerta, a digital security trainer at the Freedom of the Press Foundation, said protesters should be prepared for surveillance of their cell phones' transmissions, even if they don't make any calls. Some governments operate things called stingrays, which act a little like fake cell towers. You connect to it, and it intercepts messages. If you did this in a crowd, uh, you would likely get a view of protest planning. It's kind of an interesting piece of tech that exists. Uh, you can use an encrypted messaging app like Signal or WhatsApp instead of your default one. For iPhone users, iMessage is encrypted. But if you text with an Android phone user, it automatically switches to SMS, which is not encrypted. I don't think that many people make that kind of differentiation. Like, I understand the green bubble versus the, the blue bubble, but I'm not sure that anybody realizes that, that one is encrypted and, and one suddenly becomes not encrypted. It's also worth noting that that you you are providing data just by connecting to these cell phone towers. So you might want to consider switching on airplane mode or, or turning off location services. If you want to turn off location services for all apps, apart from a few like Google Maps, you can do that too on both iOS and Android. See, I, I think it's, it's worth noting that these Stingrays, they pick up everything anybody that connects to it it might not be a case of personally identifying you or, or wanting to personally identify you it might be a fact that you're just giving information about future whereabouts or anything like that to the people that you're trying to to avoid i mean some people suggest that you just leave your phone at home that might not be the wisest thing for you if you need to use your phone for payment or, or something like that but yeah i think uh you know, turning off location services and being really specific about what apps can, can actually find your location is, is a smart thing to do. I know that some uh, of these articles are actually suggesting having a burner phone, but that seems like quite extreme, but it's an option. Yeah, I, I find the advice for burner phones and to use encrypted apps kind of go against each other, right? Because these encrypted apps require smartphones. I'm not sure anybody is choosing an expensive smartphone as, as a burner phone. Yeah. So what about things uh, like fingerprint, face ID, uh, and device passcodes? What are, what's, the, what's the recommended settings for those things? So the, the Fifth Amendment means that you're not actually obligated to tell someone your, your passcode. Um, the law is a little murkier on the subject of biometric locks. So in 2014, a Virginia court judge ruled that criminal suspects could be required to unlock their phones with a fingerprint scanner. Uh, in 2019, a U.S. judge in California took the opposite stance. With rulings on both sides of the issue, it's in your best interest to use a traditional passcode. 
So use an alphanumeric passcode. Uh, the longer the better. Uh, these are harder to guess or break. Yeah, so just turn off Face ID, Touch ID for these things if you're heading out. It's going to make things a lot simpler for you. Yeah. And in terms of social media and kind of what you're sharing on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's worth thinking twice about what you're posting. So image files can contain metadata that includes the date the photo was taken, the make and model of the device it was shot on, and even the GPS location of where it was taken. So one of the easiest ways to strip a photo of its accompanying metadata is to take a screenshot of it and post that instead of the original image. Um, I also think it's worth noting you should think about other people's privacy and the desire to hide their identity when you're taking images and just have that in the back of your mind whenever you're taking pictures and sharing things on social media that the other people in the background might not want to expose their identity. Yeah, um, one of the apps that I saw recently added a blur filter so you could just turn that on and it would automatically hide any face. It would just blur it out. That was pretty nice. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. Next up, plan for not having your phone on you or having it run out of battery or getting smashed. Reporter Madeline Davies suggests writing down the phone number of a lawyer or emergency contact on your arm with a Sharpie. Yes, uh, your phone may not survive contact with the outside world if you're heading out to one of these events. Nice. So it's worth noting that these tips and others are available in more detail from the markup and Wired. So if anyone's looking for more information, please go ahead and check out the links in the show notes. All right, now for a special occasion. This is real or not real. Matt edition. Oh, I've come up with this one. All right. Give it to me. I'm ready. Your feet are older than your head. Real or not real? Oh my gosh. I read this as colder and I was like, yeah, my feet are always cold. My head's always very warm. Yeah. Terrible circulation. (laughs) Oh my goodness. My feet are cold. Yes. (laughs) All the time. But that is not the question. Uh, Your feet are older than your head. Is, is the proposition there. Okay. What are we thinking, Ray? So think back to grade school uh, health class <laughs> when you were finally taught about babies and they showed you the picture of the little embryo. There's a head and then no feet. It's just a tail. So no, your head <laughs> is made first. Your feet are made last. It's not... It's And no. if you're talking about when you no. come into this world. You're coming out head first. <laughs> you're coming you're out head right. first, right? <laughs> Yo, you're, yeah. Typically, you're coming out head first. Yep. This is actually nothing to do with either of those things. Uh, this is to do with the effects of gravity. It's actually a test of relativity theory. And it is incorrect because your head ages faster than mm. your feet. Is that why when you get older, especially in men, you get like... <laughs> A bigger nose. Things carry on growing. No, not at all. Your ears carry on growing, don't they? No, no, it's to do with different times at different heights. Right. So uh, now scientists have, have shown... I'm going to need a nap after this podcast. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> even on the smallest scales, clocks move at different speeds on a staircase. It's nanoseconds that we're talking about here. I feel like this is the last real or not real I'm ever going to get to do because... <laughs> I've just picked something that is so scientific. It's true. I mean... I'm so annoyed. Nothing of what you've just said makes sense. It makes sense. I find it pedantically obnoxious. Well, I thought it would be fun to be not real, but turn it around the other way and then that be real. I see. You thought this would be fun. I I did think it might be fun. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just reading about this now. It's fascinating. I mean, I'm glad you've enjoyed this. So the, the difference in time between your head and your feet 
the time actually adds up to about 90 billionth of, of a second uh, over 79 years. I'm so angry about this. Stop. Please stop talking. Like, this is... So, I mean, technically, it is your head is older than your feet. I just... Great. I don't think it's too noticeable. Tell me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> So after all your complaining, yes. Um, yes, actually, you were right. Your feet are not older than your head. Excellent. <laughs> okay, there we go. We've learned something today. Was I right for the reasons that, that we talked about? Yeah, because yeah, your head is older than your feet by 90 billionths of a second if you're 80 years old. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like I just bored you both into silence, <laughs> and that should be how we end the podcast. So uh, <laughs> love you, Rue. Love you, Matt. Love you guys. Bye.